Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast. I'm Sasha. I'm Laura. And we're here to talk all things employee experience, experience design, future of work and digital HR. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Experience Lounge podcast. So in today's episode, we've got a bit of a part two of um, your EX strategy because we didn't get to cover a couple of the the topics last time. So we wanted to do this as a bit of a part two. But before we get into the topic, Sasha, how have you been? I'm doing good. I am looking very casual today because there are very (laughs) few things that fit me at this point. I am... Well into my third trimester now, so yeah, just doing good on that front, nothing major to report there, and I am working on a few really nice projects at the moment, so I've got probably five or six weeks until I wrap up for maternity leave, whatever that looks like as a self-employed person, Um, and yeah, I'm just doing a lot of employee research and listening at the moment, which is what I love to do, so I'm really happy with that. Um... What else is there to report? Still hiding away from COVID. That's about it. What about you? How was your trip? I know. So I came to Singapore last week, but we didn't get to meet because um, you're isolating from from COVID, having had it twice yeah. already. And I think somebody like me who potentially could be a very germy person having been on a plane and also come <laughs> yeah. from the UK. So um, we didn't get to see each other, unfortunately. But no, it was a good, a good trip. It was um, a nice, I guess, for us, like, because my husband came as well, um, a bit of a trip down memory lane, because obviously we lived in Singapore for four and a bit years. He um, went to, like, our old apartment block and saw um, the, uh, the auntie who used to be on the security desk which was quite funny I got like a little selfie while I was at work with him um him seeing her so yeah it was a nice nice um nice trip down memory lane um good to be back though because we were away from our son for nearly 10 days which is the longest we've left him so lots of lots of cuddles when we got back which was which was nice and then I think last time we spoke it was the the dreaded heat wave in the UK so survived that as well um but it does still seem to be quite warm here so you're making the most of it yeah yeah and my home office does seem pretty warm as well so it retains (laughs) retains the heat which will be good for winter but at the moment I'm like it's so Mm. hot in here yeah but no so all good all good good and did you get to do anything fun while you were in Singapore yeah some stuff so um went to the beach club that was Mm -hmm. good rumors the beach club um I wanted to do a bike ride because we used to do lots of bike rides actually, but I didn't manage to. Um, but again, my husband did because obviously he wasn't working, but I was. Um, what else did we do? Just like little walks around the marina and stuff. Yeah. It was nice. It was nice to sort of go to some some restaurants, like even stuff like Din Tai Fung and, and have some dim sum and stuff. It was just quite nice to to be back. It scratched an itch for me, yeah. I think. Um, it was sort of nice to go back and, but I do feel... Yeah, I feel good about also being being back in the UK as well. Yeah, loads of my friends are like over summer now. They're ready for autumn, winter. Yeah, I sort of, I kind of get that. I do like, I, I do like, I like the seasons. I've, I sort of didn't mm-hmm. realise that I did when I lived away for so long. But I do, like I like how it will be pumpkins and hot chocolate weather before we know it. <laughs> And the, the only thing I'm not loving is the nights obviously draw in, don't they? So mm-hmm. it's already getting dark here, I think, by about nine. And that just gets 
you know, know when it's like 5 5 p.m and you're like I wake up when it's dark and I finish work yeah. when it's dark that bit mm. is is not mm. good but no I, I know what people mean um but it has been really warm and not not much rain so we've had a, fr- a few um drought warnings here as well which is yeah there's always a good old british summer (laughs) there's always something like it's like cobra meetings around the heat like we just love to be dramatic in the uk we just we can't have anything nice like we've always it's an infrastructure thing though right like that's the thing because i had a few people be like oh it's ridiculous like 38 degrees it's really hot in singapore but but in singapore it's aircon everywhere yeah. Like when you when you live in the UK and it's thirty eight degrees, nobody has aircon, so it it is mm. like your bedroom is a furnace when you're sleeping at night. So. Yeah. <laughs> God. Well, yeah. good that you're back. Sad I didn't yes. get to see you in Singapore, know. but you know, safety first. I'll be back again. I'm sure. I'm sure. Exactly for sure. And then hopefully you'll be back when Bibbit arrives. And when the Bibbit. That will be yeah. exciting. I'm yeah. hoping so. Actually, I'm supposed to be there October, November, so that would be perfect timing. Oh my God, perfect. Fabulous. I should be able to come over. Maybe cuddles. Exactly. Cool. So before we get into the continuation of our EX strategy episode, which by the way, a huge thanks to everyone. It was really well received. We got some really good feedback on the first episode. So if you're listening to this one, you've not listened to the first one, go and check that out. We cover... Um, you know, who should be involved in building an EX strategy. And also we talk a little bit about current market conditions and kind of the trends we're seeing in EX strategies and and things that you should probably consider. So go and check that out if you haven't already. Um, Before we jump into it, just wanted to call out a really brilliant article in the Financial Times. Um, Sorry, two secs. The reality of of recording a podcast live when you're raspy and pregnant and horrible and so apologies if I sound a little bit hoarse um but there is a brilliant article and we will of course link this in the show notes called it's time to talk about the menopause which is written by Emma Jacobs it was released um, a couple of days ago now so early October um, and this talks about something that we want to address on the podcast we are just waiting for the right guest um and hopefully emma if you're listening to this podcast by chance we'd love to get you on um is that a lot of organizations are investing a lot of time and resource in menopause at work programs so um doing lots of employee listening around it offering flexible benefits to support women going through the menopause but she talks about it with a slightly different um angle of is some of the I guess, or are some of the initiatives a bit of a, a smokescreen for ageism? Um, so yeah. I think it's a really, really interesting and important topic. You know, are we, yes, providing people with cool rooms and time off, but are we tackling the challenge, which is that older women who may be going through the menopause are often overlooked for things like promotion or career opportunities? Um, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Laura, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a, it was actually a take that I hadn't seen before um because there's I think over the last sort of 18 months or so I've seen a lot externally on menopause and sort of research and organizations doing more around their their policies and and different leave types and things like that but this was a really interesting article like bringing the angle of ageism in so it was a it was a a bit of an eye-opener I think for me in terms of looking at that a little bit differently so agree if we could um if we could get her on that would be would be fab yeah definitely so really love that article we'll leave it um linked below let us know what you think as well go and check it out there isn't a paywall which is brilliant sometimes the financial times have a paywall on some of their articles but not this yeah. one which is really That's really good. good 
Um, and the other thing I just wanted to call out was, and it's probably just a funny point. And Laura, I think I sent this to you as well yesterday. I have just seen a real uptick in outrageous LinkedIn posts. I know. Um, just outrageous. And there was one yesterday that was a kind of interview tips post written by um, a middle-aged man. That's the best way that I can describe it. And he called out, I, I have to get the exact phrase, but he said on a section about dress codes, unless the employer is hiring a cleavage, you may want to skip the plunging neckline. And I just want to say, <laughs> I will forever come after people on LinkedIn that post I know, I this stuff. I that you did. <laughs> it's, I just think it's so wildly inappropriate. And I just, yeah. I wonder what people think before they post these things. Do you know what I mean? I just think they don't or I don't know maybe people do and they're trying to be deliberately controversial but sometimes I think people just don't don't the other thing I'm sort of seeing though is the blurring of LinkedIn as a platform with maybe should it be TikTok or Instagram kind of Mm -hmm. type posts as well which is like really interesting yeah Um, but yeah I agree I'm seeing a few more where incredibly divisive there was another one I can't remember exactly what it was but I remember reading it the other day thinking oh like I wouldn't post that no um, yeah Absolutely interesting not. interesting but yeah um, I did see that you'd commented um yeah just ridiculous <laughs> so, so. Uh- yeah. And absolutely, that is one of the benefits as well of being self-employed is that, yes. you know, I don't answer to anyone. So, and it's not trolling. My husband made a, a point. No, it's he was just trolling. like, oh, you're back to your LinkedIn trolling. It's not that at all. I just think if you see something that's unjust, like, for example, yeah, making comments out, right? about women's choice of yeah. clothing for their interviews and, and referencing cleavage, it's inappropriate. So I'm happy to yeah. speak on behalf of people. But if you're listening to this podcast and you are guilty of saying things like that on LinkedIn, you can turn this podcast off. You can go and lie down in a dark room and have a think about your actions. <laughs> Not welcome here. <laughs> but anyway, just had to had to mention it. LinkedIn is a wild place these days. Um, we'll mm. talk about that in depth in future, I'm sure. So let's jump into part two then of experience strategies. And the first question, which we didn't get around to answering last time is... Given our focus on employee experience, design, human-centered design thinking, how should organizations or how should people look at the kind of prepare phase, so that initial kind of understanding phase of design thinking, and then the prototyping phase as well? So how can we think about that in the context of an EX strategy? So, Laura, any thoughts from you? I think the key thing because human-centered design is so important in overall employee experience and your EX strategy, it would be to apply some of those techniques and methodologies into that strategy and, and, and sort of test it. So for me, that would be things like doing your research. So when you formulated your EX strategy, have you gone out and spoken to different employees and and I think we spoke a little bit last time in the episode about different employee groups and making sure that that's representative of the the sort of voice of the employee um I think a key thing there is then involving employees throughout the design process so at the sort of stage where you might be pulling together that EX strategy but then also a big part of human-centered design thinking is that iteration and, and prototyping and testing that, right? So making sure that you 
go back and involve employees during that process I think the key thing and I think it was actually on and Steve may have mentioned it when he was on the podcast um because he's from Qualtrics but I saw um something from Qualtrics in terms of the stats where if you go out and speak to employees whether that's through sort of ethnographic research so it's you know getting them in a room doing focus groups or interviews or it's pulsing surveying and you ask for the feedback and then don't do anything with it that's more detrimental than if you actually just didn't ask people at all so I think that that kind of nugget of of research has always kind of stayed with me and when even I embark on EX research or or a project where we would say actually we're going to make this from a human-centered design lens that you do follow up with that sort of iteration prototyping showing how the solution may be evolving and involving employees in that process otherwise don't do it in yeah. short because it, mm. it's actually more detrimental more than damaging. not than perhaps yeah not not acting on the feedback but what do you think anything anything I've missed there no I th- I agree with you I think in kind of practical terms when we're going through the kind of understanding phase of the EX strategy it's important to note that you're not doing it in isolation sometimes I think when I see people working on strategies um, in HR or broader it's a strategy exercise that someone goes away and does for a few days in a in a dark room they come up with a strategy draft and then there's a discussion with x number of stakeholders about it and I think whilst yes you still need the individual like the EX lead to be the person to compile the strategy you're just starting from a different point so um there are a couple of options here that I just thought I'd raise. So the first is you probably already have a wealth of employee data and listening data from the previous 12 months. So starting there for sure and going back through, if you have pulse surveys, all of the pulse surveys, looking at the trends emerging there. Um, If you've done listening sessions throughout the year, going back and taking time to reflect on all of that and then saying, okay, is this surfacing key kind of strategic work streams that we should be looking at is the surfacing key themes that we need to be looking at um and also is there are there any gaps in my understanding here so if through all the data you already have you're not clear on what should maybe be the focus for the next 12 months or or whatever that that looks like whatever your strategy planning period is um it's then saying, okay, well, I need to go back and do a bit more of a deep dive on this and really clarify what the problem statement is that we're trying to solve. So to give you an example, if one of the elements of your EX strategy is going to be hybrid working, what specifically is it about hybrid working that requires focus within your strategy? And if your pulse survey data and existing data tells you that, brilliant. If not, go out and do that listening again. As you say, Laura, go out and and carry out small focus groups, maybe send out a survey. Um, And I'm probably describing it in a way that people are thinking, well, God, that's going to take us ages. Like we need to deliver something quickly or this needs to be done in a matter of weeks. Um, But you can develop, as we've said, a prototype of the strategy and bake in a bunch of kind of, uh, I guess, assumptions or hypothesis and And then come back and say, okay, we're also in parallel conducting employee research to refine this strategy, just so your stakeholders are clear on that. Does does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think the data point is actually a really important one, because for me, it's not even actually just 
your listening data in the sense of if you've done like an annual employee engagement survey or you've done a set of pool surveys or um, you are doing interviews and focus groups. It's also actually even things like what is your ER case management data telling you? Because if you were going after something like psychological safety, you might say from actually some of the surveys, it looks like we don't have a an issue with psychological safety, but does that marry up with the grievances, the disciplinaries? Um, if you have yeah. sort of confidential hotlines where people can can raise um, some of those concerns as well, does does that kind of marry up? And then the other thing too, which I think is again sometimes overlooked, is then even actually your service management data. So mm. what does that tell you? And even sort of the sentiment in cases again that people might be raising from a HR service management perspective or if you were thinking beyond that your ITSM um, and if you have equivalent at property and then I think it is broader data too so organizations often might run surveys that are related to property or tech and and I think it's trying to bring all of those different sources in with then an overlay of your what would typically I guess if you've got the size and scale in in the organization come from your people insight analytics teams and that is then things like what does our attrition data tell us what does our new joiner exit data and all of that for me is then so rich in terms of that employee voice and it also helps you validate so it helps you validate what you might have got from interviews alongside um some of the pool surveying and that's when I think you can really see are we addressing the biggest concerns that our our employees yeah. might have and and yeah. then making sure that, that ex strategy is is really aligned to to address some of those i think yeah absolutely and to meet the needs of the business right which is what you're touching yes. on you know yeah you might not see in the listening data necessarily that we have a huge issue with turnover um yeah but you'll see that in the hard data so it's it's starting with a broad broad range of data points, as you say, drilling yeah. in where you need to to go and deep dive just to validate some things. If you're seeing a correlation between certain data points or you're unclear about certain things and then allowing that to shape and mold your prototype, which is essentially the draft of your employee experience strategy. Um, the other thing I think as well is a question I get asked all the time is if we come up with a draft strategy or a prototype strategy, should we be going out to employees and asking them for their opinions at the same time as asking them, asking like HR stakeholders for their opinions? Um, it really just depends on your organization. This is my view. It depends on, on how standard that would be for you. I think if yeah. you can do it with like a closed group of, if you have a um, like an ERG centered around EX, or you've got a few stakeholders from the business that you have good relationships with as an EX team that you can go out and say, hey, what do you think? I think that's a lot safer than just kind of throwing it out there. Um, and it's probably going to be a lot more constructive. What do you think? Yeah, agreed. And I also think the reality, and I think we spoke about this last time, that particularly in HR, I think a lot of HR EX practitioners, you would always be also bringing in external thought leadership. So there's obviously going to be things sometimes where it might not have necessarily come up through all of your EX research, but actually it's an industry trend or you're seeing something emerging that actually, and I think hybrid working is a great example of that, that there were, there will have been lots of organizations that were kind of practicing 
degree of flexibility or hybrid and and varying degrees of maturity but that became a massive a massive focus area from an ex perspective during covid and now as we're sort of coming um sort of coming out of the pandemic so i do also think your strategy and that wouldn't necessarily always come out from talking to employees i don't think so there's that piece around what what are the sort of what's the kind of thing over here left field that we need to bring in that yeah. wouldn't necessarily come out from the now and some of that data I think is um is also yeah. really important which we did touch yeah. upon sort of last time and that's maybe back to the point around the linkage to what's also the business problem that you're trying to solve and how do you connect maybe your EX strategy to your CX strategy as well yeah yeah definitely cool so topic number four then what advice would you give to EX practitioners or HR leaders, EX leaders, when it comes to communicating an EX strategy? So I think the first thing would be that it isn't a surprise. So I think we've just talked then about like, don't don't let it be a few people sort of getting together in a room and kind of beavering away on it. And then like, ta-da, it's here kind of thing. Because from a stakeholder management point of view, that that won't get you the buy-in. And I also think that the the sort of the working of that process needs yeah. to come through when you're presenting it. And particularly if we are talking about using the human side, human-centered design lens, that that comes out as you're talking about the strategy yeah. and, and how it was pulled together. And again, I think using the data to to describe how you got to that point so for me as part of your EX strategy there's definitely going to be stuff that's coming down almost from your overall business strategy there's going to be the outside in but then there's what is the clear bit of data in this strategy that actually is informed by our employee voice and this is how we've got to deciding that it was say these top three things or however many things you um you know you put in there I think that's um that's really key as well yeah what do you think yeah I agree. Um, I think to add on that, I think that you need to communicate the journey that you're on with EX. And I say this just because I've been in so many strategy presentations or even just project presentations where it's centered around employee experience and everyone has an opinion on this. And, And I think some people will look at your strategy and say, this is too much. And others will say, this isn't enough. And so by showing your workings, absolutely, and showing the process that you went through to get to this this strategy is really important, but also explaining the maturity journey that you're on as an organization when it comes to employee experience. So I think having a slide in there, typically people present this as slides, right? So having a slide in there on like, this is where we are in terms of maturity curve on EX. So we're, you know, as an organization, you might be somewhere between EX as a COE in HR and it being very HR centric and then right at the top will be enterprise employee experience that's where we want to get yeah. to and we're kind of halfway and that mm. I think should come either probably pre presenting your strategy just to make sure everyone is clear that we're aiming for the same thing but we have to we have to make sure that we are delivering and driving a strategy that is realistic for the maturity of our organization I I think that's really important what do you think yeah agreed and I think it's um it's also helpful with the kind of EX maturity curve 
to benchmark where your organization may be in the market against other organizations like I always think when presenting to stakeholders that's quite an interesting checkpoint for you to reflect on where are we compared to peers or you know others in the market when we think of what good EX looks like and then I think actually you know having been in some of these meetings myself it's then a good debate and conversation about are we in agreement that for our organization the north star is the top of this ex maturity because actually it might not be like the 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 destination of travel might not be to get to a kind of chief experience officer yeah you know level and and sort of agreeing that with the stakeholders um that you would be presenting the strategy to i think is also really important to sort of agree Mm -hmm. actually if we're saying by 2025 or beyond you know where do we want to get to that you've almost done a bit of that contracting I think is um is quite important and and like you say that sort of I've seen the EX maturity is a bit of a step you know where you sort of see where you are on on that that kind of step um that that's a good way of of sort of having that conversation by showing that I think yeah totally agree with you um I think the other thing that I would maybe throw in there and again this just depends on your organization um and what you can get away with is I think when you're presenting your EX strategy to stakeholders and first of all making sure you've got the right stakeholders in the room but second of all if your EX strategy comes with um budget requirements and there needs to be an investment to deliver on your strategy you have to make that perfectly clear as you go um and getting it in there as soon as you possibly can because otherwise people will be like oh that was a really nice session looking at the ex strategy wow we're going to deliver all of those things with no budget whatsoever and we're just gonna be amazing um and i find it's much easier to set that expectation up front rather than then having a second yeah. conversation to say here's the budget request yeah i think that's true um and i think the debate i sort of hear quite a lot from an from an ex perspective in terms of how to deliver against some of that strategy is are you going to have a group of kind of dedicated ex practitioners and resources or are you going to bake the delivery of some of that strategy and acting on the insights from your human-centered design findings through resource that exists in the organization if it's the latter you have to actually create that capacity and where I've seen kind of friction and, and challenge is when you don't have that capacity baked in so it feels mm-hmm. like an add-on to people's kind of day job in inverted commas um yeah. that is something that is important I think to discuss in that in that kind of strategy room like who's going to actually then yeah. deliver against some of these insights and if it is then that more resource needs to be brought in that that's um that's clearly articulated up front I think yeah definitely for sure cool well uh those are the last two topics that we didn't get to cover in the first short um, and sweet short and sweet (laughs) there are of course other things other considerations which you know we'll probably address in future episodes so things like metrics and you know how do we measure and those kind of things um which we will absolutely get get around to addressing um but this is quite a nice wrap-up part one and two um so yeah that's it for today's episode we will be back um next week if you haven't seen we have launched ex bites and these are shorter podcast episodes both available on youtube and 
standard podcast streaming. Um, so these are less than 15 minutes where we are tackling um, popular EX topics as well. So be sure to check those out as well if you're looking for something that's a little bit shorter form. And we will see you next week. Laura, have I missed anything? <laughs> no, just the usual like, rate, subscribe with the podcast um, on whatever channel you normally listen to it on. And then obviously, if you like to see like to see us, we're on, <laughs> on, YouTube, on YouTube as well. Um, and we're trying to, I think, push a bit more on, on um, Instagram as yeah. well and LinkedIn. So do check us out on both of those at the Experience Lounge podcast. And cool. love to hear your thoughts on future topics and guests as well. Awesome. We will see you guys again next week. Good luck with your strategies. Let us know how you get on and see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.